Hey, I really want to uh, share a message with you this morning called What to Do When You're Expecting. I, I don't know about you, but our first child with um, Madison, you would have heard a little bit of the testimony of that um, last week. It wasn't kind of that joyous occasion the way that we found out that we were pregnant with our first child. The second child was a lot better. Uh, Seth, when we found out that, that Trinity was pregnant, we were pregnant. Yes, because I carried them for nine months. Uh, when we found out that Trinity was pregnant, it was like a really cool, phenomenal, I don't know about anybody, is anybody here when you found out that you were going to have children, it was a pretty spe- spectacular time of your life? <laughs> don't look around, kids, because <laughs> your parents don't have their hand up. I don't know about you, but when I found out that I was going to be a dad, there was this elation on the inside of me of like, this is so cool, this is something I've always wanted. And then within seconds of the elation was absolute fear. Anybody else with me? It's like, especially when they're born and you hold them in your arms and you realize this child is fully reliant on this immature idiot. (laughs) Is anybody? Okay, come on. I'm just the only one being honest in the place this morning. But as soon as you find out that you're pregnant or that your wife is pregnant, um, I emphasize wife, um, pregnant is that, you start preparing, yes? All of a sudden, uh, you know, you used to just walk into barkers. Now you're walking into baby and me shops and, 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 and toy world. And you're not in toy world looking at board games. You're in toy world looking at, at uh, preschool stuff. And, and all of a sudden, your, your entire music uh, changes from ACDC to Wiggles to big red car from back black. You know, it's like it's, this whole thing starts to happen where everything starts to change. Praise God that Peppa Pig came after my children were past that stage. <laughs> Praise God that, you know, Dinky Winky, uh, what's the other one, you know? <laughs> Thank goodness those came after my kids We're past that stage. But everything about your life all of a sudden becomes about this preparation for what you're expecting to come. The last time I spoke four weeks ago, I talked about the importance of having the secret place with God because there are some things that God only releases to us in that secret place, in that place where it's just you and Him in relationship, where there's this intimacy in marriage, there are things you know about each other that you only know because you're married, because there's an intimacy. Your kids don't know it. Your friends don't know it. Your parents don't even know it. But you know it because there's an intimacy. And something happens when we build this intimate relationship with God where He speaks to us things that He only speaks to us in that intimacy. He doesn't speak to us outside of it, but in it, where He reveals things to you. Some of you would, if I asked you this morning, would be able to put your hand up and say, there have been moments in my time with God where it's just him and me, where he speaks to me, and it's like, oh my goodness, it's a wow moment or a aha moment in our lives. And that there is when God impregnates us with his word. And all of a sudden, something about your life changes because he's spoken to you, and now you carry this word that he has for you, and something starts to change, your thinking starts to change, what your priorities 
start to change, not always, but in most cases, because all of a sudden you realize, man, God's spoken this to me, I've got to do something with it. And so what happens is the same situation is what should happen when we find out that we're pregnant with a daughter or a son, is we start making preparations for the delivery of that child. When God speaks to us, it matters how we carry. It matters how we carry because unlike when you get pregnant with a child, you know it's nine months or maybe nine months and two weeks, nine months and three weeks if they're stubborn and they just won't come out. But in reality, you wouldn't want to come out either. You're in this nice warm environment where you get fed by court. You don't have to do anything. You're just floating around having a good time. Why would you want to come out? I wouldn't. Um, But when it comes to the Word of God, sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's a month. Sometimes it's years. And sometimes it's decades before that Word that God gave you, that He put in you, that He impregnated with you, before it comes to pass, and so it really, really matters how we carry it. When I was 18 years of age, God gave me a word that I was going to pastor my own church one day, that I was going to be the senior pastor of a church, and gave me a vision about some of the things that I was going to see as part of that at 18 years of age. It did not actually happen until I was 35. God told Moses that he was going to deliver his people 40 years later, Moses delivered his people. God told David at the age of 16 that he's going to be the next king of Israel, and it didn't happen until he was 40. There's this really important thing that happens. Getting the Word of God or being impregnated with the Word of God is one thing. Learning to carry that through to delivery is something else. You know, getting pregnant with a child is the fun part. If it's not fun for you, come and talk to me afterwards and we'll just make sure you're doing it the right way. But it's the fun part. The nine months of kicking during the night while you're sleeping when, it, when baby starts to do that or, or deciding to use your bladder as a trampoline at three o'clock in the morning while you're trying to sleep, that's not fun. Well, guys, all right, we just roll over and go to sleep, but it's not fun for mum, is it? Yeah. Delivering the baby is not so much fun. Okay, you obviously all had a great time pushing your house through a window. Because how you carry it matters. And you are personally responsible. I don't know about you, but... You know, you read articles and you read books about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat while you're pregnant and do this and do that and, and you know, and there's just so much information out there. You basically just should build yourself a bubble and live in it and that's the best thing that you could do based on everything that's out there. But you try to learn because you want to make sure that during this labor, during this term of pregnancy that you are doing the right thing by your child. There's a personal responsibility that we have when God gives us a word to carry it full term. Many people get tripped up in the process because they don't know how to carry a word from God. I don't know about you, but I don't know how many times I have given up or I have quit or I have stuffed up or I have miscarried something that God gave me because I had no idea how to carry it. And I want to try and help you this morning 
between all of us, including myself, that some way we may discover how can I carry this word that God gave me? Because some of you have got words in you that God gave to you as children, and you've given up, you've quit because it just doesn't seem to be happening. It just hasn't happened like I thought it would. Life hasn't panned out how I thought it would. My situations have changed. My circumstances are so much different than when I first got there. But you know here, here's the whole thing. When God gave you that word, he knew what would happen to you. He knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen to you next week. He knows what's going to happen to you in 12 months. He knows what's going to happen to you in 10 years. But he still gave you that word because your circumstances and your situations aren't about that word not coming to pass. It's about God teaching you how to carry that word through the circumstances to bring it to pass. And you're probably fine that your situations and your circumstances and your brokenness are actually the pathway for delivery. Listen to this. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9 to 17, we hear the story of Hannah. Hannah desperately wanted kids. She had no kids, but her husband loved her hugely, more than he loved his other wife. But she was giving him a whole lot of kids. And so Hannah felt like she was lesser than her because I haven't been able to give my husband any kids. And so they come to the temple, and it says here, after, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle, and Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord, of heaven's armies, if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought that she had been drinking. We're going to wonder what's going on in his world, that that's his first thought, eh? <laughs> Must you come here drunk, he demanded, throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied, I have not been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged as I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and great sorrow. I don't know about you, but just about most of the times that God's spoken to me is in the moments of great anguish and great sorrow, yes? You know, I don't know why it is, but sometimes we have to wait till the end of us before the beginning of God. It's a whole nother message in itself, but here she is. She's just so desperate to have a child. Eli thinks she's drinking, nice pastoral care, and... Uh, and she says to him, I'm not been drinking. I'm just so much sorrow. I so desperately want a son. And in verse 17, it says this. Eli says, in that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. See, the great thing about the story of Hannah is that here she is crying out to God for something that she wants, a son. 
just absolutely wants a son like nothing else on earth. She wants a son. Eli says to her, may the Lord God of Israel grant that request. What's your request? Your request is to have a son, yes? Come on. And he said, may the God of Israel grant you that request. Can I ask you a question? Is Hannah now got a son? What does Hannah have? Hannah in this moment doesn't have a son. Hannah has a word. Hannah has a word. And after receiving the word, watch how Hannah's focus shifts. In verse 18, it says this, Think well of me and pray for, more sh- pray for me, she said. And she went away and she ate heartily and her face was radiant. Before this, her husband couldn't get her to eat anything. And she was in deep anguish. She was in deep pain because she wanted a son and she couldn't have a son. And all Eli says to her is, may the God of Israel grant the request that you have been asking of. And she leaves that place happy, eats like nothing else on earth, and her face is now radiant. She is now glowing. She is now beaming from ear to ear. But Hannah still is not pregnant with a son yet. She still has not conceived a child yet, because Hannah was pregnant with a word before she was pregnant with a son. And you need to understand something, that the reason why sometimes we don't see things come to pass is because we're looking for the son, the pregnancy of the son, rather than looking for the pregnancy of the word. You get pregnant with a word before you can even think about bringing to fruition the promise and the plan and the purpose that God has for you. It starts with a word. She went away with a word that said, you know what? He said, God grant you your request. And that was enough for me to walk out of that place, to eat a big meal, and for my face to shine with radiance. And I'll take that word. I know I'm not pregnant yet, but I'm pregnant with that. And I'm going to carry that until I get pregnant with a son. I'm going to carry what you've said, what you've promised, the word that you've spoken to me. I'm going to carry that until I start to see the effects in my physical world, because right now she doesn't see any change in the natural. She doesn't see any change in the physical, but a word is all that she needed to start to prepare for her son to come. The word is all that she needed to go away from that place and start to plan and start to design the the baby room and start to buy the clothes and start, because all she needed was a word. And all you need is a word, and the word isn't the problem. The promise is not the problem. The problem is we fail to carry it through to fruition. I don't know how many words God has given me over the years that have not come to pass yet, and I know there have been times, and the same with you, where we have blamed God for that. God, you promised, and that hasn't happened. You promised that you'd open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing upon me that I don't have enough room to contain it. Hello, I have so many containers that are empty that this is not happening. But what we have is we have a promise, we have a word, we have something that he says if we really believe that his word is alive, living, and active, if we really believe that his word must come to pass, if we really believe that it doesn't go out and not accomplish everything that it sets out to do, if we really believe that, then the issue is not the word, the issue is how we're carrying the word. Because I can tell you now, if you get pregnant with a son or a daughter and you go out and you drink like crazy, 
and get drunk every night and smoke weed and all that sort of stuff, guess what's going to happen to the child? And so how do we carry, I don't know about you, but how do we carry? Listen to this in John 15 verse 7, it says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then whatever you ask is going to happen. I thought we might have got a couple of amens there, but that's okay. Let me say it one more time. If you remain in him, if you remain in relationship with him and you keep carrying the words, the words remain in you, then whatever you ask, you'll have. Whatever you ask, you'll have. Because asking for what you desire and seeing God to do it is all about your faith, yes? Yes? When you ask God for something and you're believing He's going to do it, it's all part of your faith. But faith is connected to something, isn't it? Faith is connected to His words. You can't step out and have faith if you're not carrying His words. It says, if you are Abide in me and my words abide in you. If you would carry, if you would nurture, if you would carry those words that I've given you, then whatever you ask for, whatever you desire, I will make happen. Why? Because when we carry his words in us, all of a sudden we start to adapt. We start to change to what his word says. There are mums in this place that your body did not consult you about what it was going to do once that baby started growing. It just made room for that baby. Whether you liked it or not, your pelvis enlarged and bones and that all gets supple and, and everything happens and this grows and it's like I drink concentrate lemon juice because that's nice. I have these weird sandwiches like peanut butter with pickle and something else on it. And, and, and all of a sudden, this child absolutely consumes everything about who you are. It doesn't actually ask what you like to eat. It tells you what you can eat. It, you may have liked drinking tea before you were pregnant, but if that baby doesn't like you drinking tea, you're not going to be drinking tea. Yes? Lime milkshakes were the issue in our house, even at 3 o'clock in the morning. And concentrate lemon juice. She would go to the fridge and get concentrate lemon juice and scull it like it was a can of Coke. And now my poor daughter hates lemon juice. Her fault. He's saying here it's not enough just to hear God's words. You've got to carry them. You've got to carry them. You've got to hold them. You've got to keep them at all times. And we have to allow them to abide in us, to have residency in us, to have a home in us. Because carrying his words is what shapes our desires and our prayers so that we get the answers from God that we're looking for. Carrying his words is what gives us access to faith. A lot of people want a fresh word from God, but can I say to you this morning, you don't need a fresh word from God. You just need to learn how to carry the words he's already given you. 
I don't need any more promises from God. He's given me so many that I have not carried well that giving me some more ain't going to help me. I, I want to sometimes, you know, you, you know, we do this at, in our homes, eh? We do this with our kids. If you do that, then you can have this. If you do the dishes, you can play on PlayStation. And what do they do? They argue with you for the next hour, hour and a half, that they could have been playing PlayStation, but instead will argue about doing a five-minute job. I wonder how many of us are saying to God in the spirit realm, I want to play PlayStation. He's going, hey, man, just, just do that word that I gave you first. You know that one that I gave you 10 years ago that you've done nothing with? Can we, can we make that happen first? Because when that happens, then this can happen. And when that happens, and that happens, and this happens, and this happens. And because and God has a plan and he has a purpose and it's strategic and it doesn't just, he just doesn't make it up as he goes along. He knows that every promise leads to the next promise that leads to the next promise. How do I know that? Because he says in his word that he takes us from glory to glory and strength to strength. So every promise that comes to pass, every word that he's given you that we carry carry through to fruition, just takes us to the next level and the next stage and the next level and the next stage and the next level and the next stage and everything builds upon the other thing and all of a sudden you are at the place where you never dreamed that you could be and it's just because you learnt to carry all the words. You don't need a fresh word, you just need to do something with the one he's already given you. So how do we carry? How do we carry? Let me give you just some practical things on how to carry the word from God that he's given to you. The first one is pray it. Pray it. All the prayer team in the church is like, yay! Pray it. The first way to carry the word of God has given to you is by praying it. Let that word, let the word that he's given you, let it become the fuel of your prayer life. Let that be, because I don't know about you, but so often... Sometimes when it comes to prayer, I'm like, oh, what do I pray about? Anybody with me? It's like, I'm not sure what to pray. I know what to whinge about. Anybody? Oh, just me. Okay, all right. But I don't know what to pray about. And I have to remind myself, pray about the things that he's promised you. Pray about the words that he's given you. If you haven't seen those words come to pass, then you need to start praying them to pass. Come on. You need to start praying the word. So I've, I've learned something. I don't pray over my finances. I don't pray over my children. I don't pray over my future. I don't pray over the nation. I don't pray over the church. I don't pray over my marriage. What do I do? I pray what he says about my marriage. I pray what he says about the church. I pray what he says about my finances. I pray what he says about my health. In the front of my Bible, I don't have it here with me today, but in the front of my Bible is a whole lot of verses about healing because God gave me a promise. God gave me a word. In the midst of Trinity nearly dying from the Crohn's disease, God promised me that he'd heal her. And so every time I open my Bible, every single day, those verses are in the... Uh, 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 Sellotape in the front cover, and I pray those verses every single day because he gave me a promise, and his promise said that he would heal her. His promise said that he has been beaten so that we don't have to be. His word says that by his stripes you are, not will be, not hopefully, not fingers crossed, not as long as you do everything and you're a good little Christian. It says by his stripes you 
are healed. So healing has already been provided. So I've just got to actually demand it. I've just got to pray it into the situation because there's something trying to stop the promise. And so I pray those things. Is she healed yet? No. But I've got to carry it. I gotta carry it to fruition. I can't pike out halfway through. I can't turn around halfway through the pregnancy and go, actually, no, I don't think I want this anymore. I give up, I quit. You can't do that. I know that some of you, when you're like 38 weeks, you're like, get this thing out of me. But that's not how it works. When it comes to the word of God, it's not, you can't just decide, no, I'm not doing that. You can't abort it. You can't miscarry it. You can't decide that you're not gonna deliver it. It will stay there until you decide to see it through. So we've got to pray it. Pray it, man. Just pray that word. If God gave you a word for your kids, and your kids are far from God, and God gave you a promise that he was going to use them, that he was going to save them, then We don't need to pray, God, save them. You need to pray, thank you, God, for that word that said that you're going to say, I trust you. I believe in you. I'm going to carry this word. I'm going to nurture this word. I'm going to to look after this word. I'm going to do everything I can because this word, when it comes to fruition, your promise, I'm going to see my kids saved. I'm going to see them doing something for Jesus because that's the word that you gave me. And so I'm going to find a whole lot of scriptures that relate to that, and I'm going to pray it. Second thing we've got to do is change the way you talk. Change the way you talk. Many times we say the things that he's not saying. Oh man, I don't know how many times that I'm sure if I could hear myself. Well, you, you know what I mean. How many times do you put yourself down? How many times do you tell yourself that you're not good enough, that God can't use you, that God can't do that, or... I'm too bad, or I'm too far gone, or I'm this, or I'm not confident enough. And, and we say all these things that he's just not saying. He doesn't say those things about us. Our language has to line up with God's language. It has to line up with what he says, not what I think, not what my family thinks, not what my friends think, not what my insecurities think, not what this world says, but what does he say? What does he say? God said this to me this week, and it's a pretty strong statement, but I'm still struggling with it, but I want to share it with you this morning. He said this to me, when I speak, you no longer have permission to say anything but what I said. When God speaks, you no longer have permission to say anything other than what he said. Because if you say anything other than what he said, then you're in disobedience. Many of us have had God speak to us about how much he loves us, how valuable we are, the purpose for our lives. Many of us have had him speak to us about our identity and our calling and our family and our finances and our careers and our marriages and all this God, you know, like I don't know how often we get up here and we talk about how much God loves you and we talk about how you created in his image and, and we, we, we address that all the time and, and, we go, and we can quote it all, we can say it all, we, we know these words, but, you know, when we get outside the door of this building and, 
and, and into our own environment where we feel safe and the facade comes down. Our language doesn't line up with what he said. Even though we've heard this, we may have been in church for 35 years and heard about how much God loves us, but we still doubt that he really does. And we know what his word says about his plans for us, but for many of us, it does not change the way that we talk. We still allow our feelings to be what we speak from rather than what God has said. I don't know how often I've done this in my own life. Lots and lots of times in my 44 years of my life have I spoken everything that I feel and nothing about what he said. How is speaking what I feel going to change my circumstance? Here's the dangerous thing about watching what we say is this. The Word of God in your mouth is as powerful as the Word of God in God's mouth because it's the Word of God. It's not about who says it, it's about what it is. But the Bible also says this, that we're created in His image. And so when God created the world, He spoke it into being, yes? Let there be light, and there was light. Words are, I've said this before, words are not for communication, words are for creation. And so when we say what our feelings say, then those words start to manifest itself in our lives, and all it does is reestablish or reaffirm our feelings. But when we start to speak the Word of God, and we ignore the feelings, and we start to speak His promises, and we start to line up our language with His language then all of a sudden the feelings come into line with his word. And then it's not just something that you say, but it's actually something that you believe and it's something that you feel. Why? Because God is not to be understood. God is to be experienced. It's, he, love is an experience. It's not knowledge. It's an experience. Grace is an experience. Mercy is an experience. And so as we start to line up our words with his words, all of a sudden our feelings start to come into alignment with what we are saying because we are creating as we speak it. As we say, I thank you, God, that I'm created in your image. And it doesn't matter what people said. It doesn't matter what the people in the past have said. I am beautifully and wonderfully made. Great are your works, O oh God. Look at me. I am so darn hot. Some of you got to do that. You've got to start looking at yourself in the mirror and start saying what God says about you. Start lining up your language because praying it is one thing. But if you're just praying it, but the rest of the time you're not saying it, then it's kind of pointless. I reckon we should challenge each other when we hear God, when we hear people saying things that God's not said, I think we should say to that person, hey, that's not what God says about you. Why don't you go and talk to him about that? Why don't you go and find out what he says about you? What he says about you. Your feelings can be inconsistent, but God's word is never inconsistent. God's word is always consistent. It's always true. It's always right. I know it doesn't feel real sometimes when you start to do that, but I'm telling you, 
we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we keep on speaking those words because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I want to tell you, if you can line up your language of His language, all of a sudden things start to change. Things start to shift. Everything starts to go in the direction that God has prepared for you. So we pray it. We change our language. The third thing is, is we make it the main thing. Make it the main thing. I don't know about you, but when Trinity was pregnant with both our kids, it was kind of the main thing. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's kind of the main, apart from when the rugby's on. And the rugby's the main thing. Can I get amen? <laughs> Lance is going to be destroyed this afternoon. It's the main thing, yes? Everything about your world becomes about that, doesn't it? Everything. Everything becomes about the baby. Every conversation that you have, I, I feel sorry for mums. How many weeks now? How far along? They must just like, look, you can see. Yeah. Uh, when, when's the, has the baby come yet? No, it hasn't. It's not like I don't want it to come yet. Just has it come yet. Just stop asking me. I can't make this thing happen. You know, it's like, it's like, but it's the main thing, yes? It's absolutely the main thing. That, that child, that baby in the mum sucks everything out of that mother's body for the baby. In fact, the doctors will tell you that, that to keep the baby alive, the body will sacrifice the mother to keep the baby alive. It'll, it'll shut down things in the mum to keep that baby going. It, it becomes the main thing. They say this, that when you get shot, <laughs> not, I know it's a little bit pregnancy shooting, but they say this, that when you get shot, I looked into this this week, that when you get shot, your, actually your body actually starts to go through this process of shutting different parts of the body down to make sure that blood is going to the parts that's going to keep the body alive. And so it's quite a common thing when someone gets shot that they lose their eyesight and they lose their hearing temporarily because the body goes, in this situation right now, I've been shot. The main thing for me to do right now is you need to see you've been shot or hear that you've been shot, but I've got to keep the heart pumping and the brain going. And so it'll slowly go through and it'll shut down what it considers to be unnecessary to keep that body alive. The same thing is when, when someone's pregnant, the whole body becomes about keeping that main thing alive. Once you get God's word on the inside of you, God starts going through and shutting down all the things that you don't need that are not needed to bring this thing to pass. He'll shut down some relationships that you don't need. He'll shut down some career paths that you don't need. He'll shut down all sorts of things that you don't need because this word, this thing that you're carrying, this word that you're pregnant with, this promise that he's given you is the main thing now. So everything else that isn't necessary is going to start getting shut down in your world because it's all about bringing it to pass. And it allows us to lock in on the main thing, making the main thing the main thing. I think sometimes the problem in the church or problems in workplaces or anything like that is the unimportant thing becomes the main thing. Style becomes the big problem rather than substance. Yes? 
And he's saying here is you just make the main thing, the main, if you just make this the main thing, that you're carrying this word, make it the main thing. If it's the main thing that you're carrying and keeping and holding close at all times, and when the word abides in you, and when it comes to full term and fulfillment, all those things that have been shut down just really won't matter. You know, I don't know about you, but when, when the kids were first born, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how we do this, but how do you cope with no sleep? If you asked me today, Craig, tonight I just want you to sleep for two hours and then get up and function. My family would not love me very much on Monday because I'd be the grumpiest, nastiest, snappiest person on the face of the planet. But somehow, when that baby was born and we only got two hours sleep, I was able to get up, go to work, and function. How does that even work? It's, it's almost like your body goes, well, well, this is how it is now, two hours. And it just adapts. It just copes. It just does it. I don't know how. I mean, I know that as a parent, you're basically just tired for about... 12 years of your life until they get to teenage years and then you're the one waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning and they're sleeping till 10. But you just adapt. Why? Because the main thing is the main thing. It's about that baby. It's about changing it. It's about feeding it. And somehow all the stuff like sleep, which you thought was important, you just seem to be able to live without. used to think it was important eating hot meals. Now you eat cold ones. <laughs> I think it's one of the best things ever. The first time we went out on a date without the kids when somebody watched them and we're sitting there and we're in a restaurant and we're eating and Trinity goes, oh my goodness. And I'm like, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? Don't you like your meal? Like, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm thinking something's a problem here. And she goes, my meal's hot. <laughs> Pray it, change your language, make it the main thing. And fourth, prepare for it. Prepare for it. Prepare for it. Second Kings 4, 5 to 6, it says this about this woman. She left him and shut the door behind her and his sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were filled, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is no jar left. And the oil stopped flowing. You see, the problem was, is this woman's husband was a man of God. He was in the ministry, but he died. And as much as he was a man of God, he was not very good with his money, and he had so much debt that the debt collectors were about to come and take the woman's children. And so the woman goes to Elisha and says to Elisha, hey, look, my, my husband, he was a man of God, and he served you, and, and you're going to help us out here. And Elisha says to her, what do you have in your house? And she goes, nothing but a little bit of oil. So she says, go and grab as many empty vases as you can, as you can find, and then pour the oil in and then go and sell the oil, and that'll pay off your debts, and there'll be enough left over for you to live on. I wish I could be that kind of man of God for you. I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> and so here she is, and she's pouring this little oil, and the little oil kept pouring. Could you imagine looking at that little jug with a little bit of oil like that in the bottom, and it never got any more than that, but it just kept flowing. It, what a crazy environment. Bring another one, quick, bring another one, quick, bring... It's just like, can you imagine, like... I don't know about you, but, but it'll be like, get me another vase, and I'm too busy concentrating on it. Look, it's still going. It's just like this major, major event. But the thing is here is that the oil ceased on the last vessel, which would suggest to me that if she had more vessels, there would have been more oil. 
It only stopped because there's no more and more to be filled. So I believe this. I believe the level of our preparation determines the level of our outpouring. The level that we prepare ourselves for this word to come to pass is to the level that it outpours itself. We don't sit back and do nothing. Faith is active. Faith is alive. And when we believe God, we bring to prepare for what he tells us to prepare for. And so we have to kick into this preparation mode. If God has given you a word that he's going to do something, what are you doing? How are you preparing for that? No matter how small it may seem, you should be putting your hands to something, doing something. I, I believe that God's called me to go to China as a missionary. Awesome. Brilliant. How about you learn the language now? How about you reach out to the Chinese that are in our community now? Rather than waiting for some fairy God moment where God's going to come and wave his wand over your head and give you a word from a visiting speaker and launch you into ministry. That's not how it works. You've got to do something. What's the point of going to China if you can't speak Mandarin? How are you going to reach them? And why can't you reach the ones that are here? Why do you have to go there? Why don't you start preparing yourself? I really believe that God's called me to write books that are going to change the way the, way the church thinks. That's awesome. That's brilliant. Why don't you start a blog? Because, you know, you just don't go from non-writing to writing. It takes time. Why don't, why don't you do some writing classes and learn how to write well? Because I don't know about you, but I, I, I know some guys that I really respect in ministry, but I've brought their books and I hate their books. Love their preaching, but they can't write to save themselves, yes? And then there are others where I don't really like their preaching, but I love their books because they write them so well. But what are you doing to prepare yourself? God told me that I'm going to improve the economy of the third world nations through small businesses. Awesome, brilliant. So what books are you reading and what are you doing study-wise? You hear what I'm saying? If God's given you a word, you've got to prepare for it. It's not like he's just going to go, oh, here it is. Because if you can't prepare for it, how are, you going to carry, how are you going to bring it out and raise it? And how are you going to raise that child if you're not prepared for it? You know, you, you don't just go home from the hospital and there's, there's no bassinet and there's no clothes and there's no, in our case, because of the drugs that Trinity was on, she couldn't breastfeed, and we have, so we have no formula, no bottles in the house, because, you know, we're just waiting for the baby to arrive, and then we'll go and get everything. People would be saying, no car seat, rock up to the hospital, yeah, we'll take the baby now, where's your car seat? Oh, we didn't think we needed one until it turned up. You, you don't do that. You go and buy the car seat, and you get the vaccine, you get all the stuff to give, so when the baby comes home, you are prepared for it. So what are you doing to prepare for this? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why do we fail to prepare? Let me give you three quick things. I'm going way too long this morning. Three quick things that will tell you why we don't prepare, why we don't prepare for it. First of all is we don't really believe the word. We don't really believe that God's going to do what he said. Let's just be honest. It's probably one of the main reasons why I haven't done some of the things that I need to do because I... I like the idea, but I just don't, can't see how it's going to happen. Well, you know what? There's this guy called Noah. <laughs> he got told there's going to be rains and floods, and there'd never been rains and floods. 
and he went out and he built an ark and it didn't take him a week to build the ark. It took him years to build the ark while people were mocking him, while people were belittling him. But Noah continued to prepare because he believed the word. Oh, it's going to rain. What's rain? We haven't ever seen rain. You're an idiot. You're a clown. Noah's, he's loopy, man. But he just kept on building because he believed it. If you believe it, then you've got to do something. Come on. Second thing is we don't want to do the small things. I don't want to do the little stuff because it feels beneath us considering what it is that I feel that God's called me to. Well, here's the reality about the kingdom. If you can't be faithful in the small, he won't give you much. If you, if you can't do something with the little you have, he will not give you the much. If she couldn't pour the little oil that she had, she wouldn't have got the much of oil. You, you, just, you just can't belittle the small things. Number three, we get crippled with indecision. We're so fearful of making a wrong decision that we make no decision. This is probably my biggest one, if I'm just being honest with you this morning. It's like, I'm so scared of making the wrong decision, I just don't make any decision. I'll talk about it a lot, but let's just not make a decision, because once you make a decision, then you have to do something. And then if you do something, and then if you fail, everybody thinks you're an idiot. Because the thing that drives us most in our decision process is that we're so crippled by fear of failure. But here's the thing, the difference between people who do something and the people who don't do something is that the people who do something actually do something. Let me say that again. The difference between people who do something and the people who don't do something is the people who do something actually do something. Say that fast 10 times. You just got to do something. We have such a fear of failure. We fear of failure is such a big thing in our lives. We believe that failure is the worst possible outcome. And therefore, we set our lives up never to fail. Never to fail. And yet in the parable of the talents, it's the same scenario. The guy buried his talent. It's not that the master didn't get all his money back. He got all his money back. So what made the master so angry with him? It's because he realized, because he was so fearful of failing, that he was useless to him. He was so fearful of failing that he was absolutely useless to him. And so the message of the parable of the talents is that in setting up our lives not to fail, we are actually setting up our lives to fail. I've actually learned something recently that failure is actually the pathway to success. Did you know that? Because you actually don't learn anything in your successes. You learn everything in your failures. The only way, I can tell you now, the only way that you can truly fail as sons and daughters of God is by refusing to use what it is that he's given you. That's failure. Failure is not using it and making mistakes. That's not failure. That's just a lesson. Failure is not doing anything with it at all, ever. Having that word and never doing anything to bring it to fruition. That's failure. So I want to encourage you this morning, go after. Go after the things that God has spoken to you, even if they're scary. Even if they're scary, go after them. Just go after it. 
You know, I, I read a book recently and the guy said this, if your dream doesn't scare you, then it's too small. Because we love Ephesians 3.20, yeah? My God can do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ever ask, think of, or dream of according to his power that's working us. We, we love scriptures like that. Nothing is impossible for God. Oh, man, I love that scripture. I love scriptures like the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives and abides within me. If God is for me, then who can be against me? Where are those words when we're too scared to do anything? Where are those words? Where, where are those words? I'll tell you where those words are. Those words are in our head instead of in our hearts. We've heard him, but we don't believe him. He's a good God. He's a good God that has good plans for you. Plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. He does not have plans for you to fail, for you to be miserable, for you to be broken for the rest of your life. Because what God does is he brings the broken and he makes it beautiful. That's why Paul says that I boast in my weaknesses. It's like, woohoo, look at all my faults, woo! Seriously, that's what he says. He boasts in his weaknesses. Why? Because I know in my weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect. And what we're taught in the world is don't tell anyone about your weaknesses. Cover them up. Act like you're tough and you've got it all together. But the reality is in the kingdom, the Bible says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not meaning money. It's meaning broken. For they shall see the kingdom of heaven. What's that? That's restoration. You see, the pathway to beauty is for your brokenness. The pathway to seeing God do something amazing in your world is to reject the fear of failure, to start to pray what God has said, to change our language to what God has said, to make it the main thing in our lives and to prepare in advance with an expectation because that's what faith does. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Come on. And so we build the bassinet and we buy the pram and we buy the car capsule and we do all that stuff because we have a hope. You don't know the minute that you're pregnant that that baby's going to come to pass. We lost three children, but it didn't stop us preparing for them. And I want to tell you, People that do something are people that actually do something. And I just sense in this place this morning that maybe things haven't exactly worked out like you had planned. Maybe things haven't really gone to script. Maybe, you know, you just don't really see how your life is going to move forward. Maybe you've come to this place where you're actually being so disappointed by these so-called promises that you just refuse to carry them anymore. Well, my prayer for you this morning would be that God would refuel you, that God would re-engage you, that God would just get on the inside of you and all of a sudden that, that dormant word that's been sitting there for so long would erupt in your world. The Bible says this, that a bruised reed he does not break and a smoldering stick he does not snuff out. That word that he gave you when you were 8 or 9 or 10 or 15 or 16 or 20 or whenever it was, it's just sitting there, it's smoldering away, it's just waiting. It's just waiting for you to go, you know what, God, fan back into flame. 
that word, that promise. I'm going to start to pray it. I'm going to change my language to it. I'm going to, I'm going to start you know, making it the main thing in my life, and I'm going to prepare for it because this thing's going to happen. It's going to come to pass because your word promises. It doesn't return empty, but it comes to pass. It doesn't return empty, but it comes to pass. It always accomplishes everything that it sets out to do. And God, I want to be pregnant with your word before I'm pregnant with your promise. And I want to be able to carry that. And if that's you here this morning, you're like, man, I, I've dropped the baby, if you want to put it that way, I've I kind of like just given up because my circumstances, my situations, even maybe the lies of the enemy have come and it's just like, man, I, I just don't know if that's going to happen anymore. I want to tell you this morning, God doesn't say something to you if he doesn't have a plan for it to happen. And there's something I've learned recently is that he promises what he promises regardless of me. Because if it was about me, it would never happen. But it's always about him. And so it has to happen. All I got to do is say, you know what? Come on, come at me. You can jump on my bladder. You can make me fat. I don't care. I'm going to carry this thing through. I'm going to carry this thing through. I'm going to carry this thing through, even if I have to drink lemon concentrate. I may not like the taste of it too much. I may not like the correction. I may not like the rebuke that you bring. I may not like the discipline that you put in my life. But I know that when I bring this thing to fruition, all of that is forgotten. In fact, you know, scientists, doctors will tell you that the pain that a woman goes through in childbirth, as soon as a baby is born, it's like your body instantly forgets it. Because if your body didn't instantly forget it, you wouldn't do it again. Because why? Because now it's just, look at this beautiful, beautiful child. And I just think there's some people here this morning, you need to, those words, those words, you're just going to, you know what, i got to get back to that. Maybe you've got to make a change in career. Maybe you've got to make a change in some of your relationships. Maybe you've got to make a change in how you deal with your finances. Maybe you've got to make a change in how you're raising your children. Maybe you've got to make a change in how your marriage is going along because it's not lining up with the Word and you've been saying all the wrong things instead of the right things. This morning, opportunity, great time for you to turn around and go, you know what, God? Re-impregnate me with that word and I'm going to carry it and I'm going to carry it until it comes to pass why don't you stand to your feet this morning why don't you just close your eyes every single person in this place I know I've gone long it's what happens when I get to preach for three weeks why don't you just close your eyes for a moment because I don't want to embarrass anybody here this morning and I certainly don't want to belittle what different people have gone through in their world and I don't mean to say anything this morning that may upset you, but I know in my life that I've aborted some of the promises, that I've miscarried some of the promises. But I believe in a God that restores. I believe in God that doesn't punish us when we don't quite do the things that He wants, but I believe in God that just sits there waiting for us to come to Him and say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. Help me get back on track with this. And the great thing about the prodigal son story is he didn't have to start again. He just slotted right back in where he left off. 
You, you don't have to grovel. You don't have to plead. You don't have to work hard to get back to where you were. You just got to say, you know what, God? Sorry. Got off track there for a little bit, but I'm back. I'm back. My name is Craig Jordan, and I'm back. My name is Cullen Blundell, and I'm back. My name is Mike Cocker, and I'm back. My name is Jonathan Baker, and I'm back. My name is Cedric Harrison, I'm back. That's what we've got to do this morning. We've got to say, you know what? It doesn't matter where I've been, I'm back. And I'm back on board, and I'm back with your word, and I'm back with what you've impregnated with me, and I'm going to carry it this time until it comes to pass. I'm going to pray it, I'm going to speak it, I'm going to make it the main thing, and I'm going to prepare for it, and we're going to have a party when it comes. If that's you here this morning, and you're like, Craig, I'd love it if you would pray for me this morning, that I would be able to get back that I'll be able to come back this morning. The greatest thing that ever happened was the comeback of resurrection life. When what was dead came back to life, that was you when Jesus found you. And I want to tell you this morning, you can come back. You can come straight back into the promises that he had. If you're here this morning, you're like, man, I want to come back this morning to these promises that he gave me. Then why don't you just lift your hand this morning and I'll pray for you. Just leave it right up high so I can see it and so that he can see it. I want to come back, back to that relationship that we once had, back to that belief that I once had, back to that powerful belief that God was going to heal me, that God was going to save my kids, that God was going to heal my marriage, that God was going to lift my finances. I'm coming back to the promises. Father, you see every single hand in this place this morning. Father, I thank you so much that you are for us and not against us. That God, it doesn't matter how much bad we've done or how far off the path we have gone. Nothing has ever separated us from your love and from your promises. And your word says that you never give gifts and then take them back. That the giftings and the callings of God are without repentance. And so we say this morning, I'm back, I'm back. I'm back. This word is going to reignite. This word is going to refuel. This word is going to revive. This word is going to come back and I'm going to carry it and I'm going to see it fulfilled and I'm going to give birth to what it is that you have planned for me and my family and my marriage and my community and my nation. In Jesus' name, I am back.